Do we Mike need to introduce out. that this is the deeper magic? But no. Oh, okay. This is this, just, is, this the is, intro. is before. Okay. We're just right. chilling right now. You're listening to Deeper Magic. You should drink your scotch right into the mic. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to press record. I'm going to talk I I, in just purpose. a minute. I'm going to talk about the scotch that I am currently drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know you were going to press record. Yeah, I know. I did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is the deeper magic. We, oh, uh, yeah. Anna and I, uh, I'm Peter. We, we fully believe that spiritual conversations happen <laughs> all around us all day long. Part of the deeper magic embedded in the world, yeah. uh, whether you're in an institutional church. Or not. But speaking of like dad moments, I had a dad moment this week with you. Yeah, you, you had, did. You had your first ever flat tire. Well, it was more than a flat tire. So it was, no, it was yeah. quite the deal. Was, you were in downtown Minneapolis. And what happened? I was, um, well, it was funny. Okay, because I had had coffee with a friend and then I called you and I was like, hey, I'm on my way home. If there's food left over, I'll have some dinner. Otherwise, I'll just scrounge around for something because I was staying at my brother's apartment for a couple of days because he's closer to my campus. And I was like, all he has is mini cinnamon rolls and box mac and cheese. (laughs) And so I need some actual food. Um, Apparently he did make like salmon sandwiches. I heard something something about this. Yeah. He was like, why did nobody tell me that cooking was cool? And I was like, Years. Yeah. I've been begging you. Like, well, please. I, I mean, he moved out of the house, what, maybe three-ish weeks ago now? Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure he was subsisting, as you said, on Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Rolls, all oh, the stuff totally that we was. didn't provide in the house for him. He the just Domino's went, pizza that he we went, bought when he moved in <laughs> totally. was still there. <laughs> I, think, I think he just binged on all of the stuff that yeah. was not part of our household. So it was quite heartening to hear that he was making salmon, of all things. Something. Yeah. yeah. No, it was I, definitely I salmon. And I, apparently I was, it turned out good. Uh, that's what I heard. Yeah, no, but anyway, so I was coming home. I was like, I need actual food. Um, and so started driving, hung up the phone with you, and it's dark, and it's in Minneapolis and whatever, and I there's this massive pothole, and I just go right over it, and the whole thing, and it was that moment where I like, as I was going over the pothole, I was like, oh, no. You said more than, oh, no. Well, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> According to what times. you said when you called me, yes, uh-huh. you definitely, yes. Um, yeah, but this is a Christian podcast. All right, all right, podcast. yes. But, um, yeah, so I went over the pothole, and I was like, oh, no. And then, sure enough, my tire pressure light went off a minute later, and I was like, oh, really? No kidding. Yeah. Um, and so, and I was, like, really proud of myself because I had never had anything like that happen to me before, and I, like, totally didn't panic or anything. You didn't. Like, you pulled right over. And I pretty totally impressive. did, and I was, yeah. like, on a major road when right. it happened. Or not like a major road, but like it was a big road and 50 miles an hour and cars are going and my tires deflating and I was like, all right. And so got off the road and and parked and called you and I was like, hey, I think I just blew a tire. Can you come come get me or figure out what I'm doing here or like the whole thing? And then I kind of sat there for like well, half hour. Yeah, because that when you called, I it, it, was, it wasn't yeah. long. It activated some sort of primal... <laughs> pre-thought dad response. It's like yeah. my daughter's downtown in a car. <laughs> Minneapolis has had its share of crime lately for, for sure. you know, reasons that have been been tough to walk through. And I I mean, it I I always like an excuse to be able to drive fast in case the mm-hmm. officers pull me over. And, oh, and yeah. so for example, when you and your siblings were all born, all five of you, it was mm-hmm. really fun to drive to the hospital because I thought if I get pulled over, I can just say, hey, my, my wife's, wife's in- having a baby. Exactly. Yeah. I and mean, it's actually, we had one of your, uh, Samuel was born in Scotland, so that was a different deal. But 
Uh, I had all sorts of justification to drive really fast downtown. I don't own like a rifle or anything, so I didn't know it. No. But, I, but I could have grabbed my Braveheart sword that's by the side mm-hmm. of my bed yep. and come down. But it did. It activated something in me to think of you down there. So much so that I remember when I tried to call you on the way. Yeah. I was between Ridgedale, this mall. In well, and that, I didn't tell you what had happened here because, because you didn't I, pick up the phone. I know. I was because, like driving like a bat out of hell to come, to come there, get you. And, you and didn't I'm pick like. Up the phone. I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, gas is expensive. Yeah. It's warm enough outside that I can turn my car off uh, for like 15 minutes okay. and turn it back on and yeah. not get too cold. Like, I'll be okay. But I forgot, obviously, that if I turn my car off, my car is not going to notify me that you're calling me. Yeah. And so I didn't have my phone out or like next to me because I was driving. So I wouldn't have it out and next so to me. That's why you But didn't I forgot answer. that my car, obviously, if it's off, isn't going to tell me. Oh. Um, and I, then my thought was like, if he calls or texts me, I'm on my computer, I'm doing a schoolwork assignment. And so I was like, so my computer will tell me, but I wasn't connected to Wi-Fi, So of course oh. it wouldn't. And so then all of a sudden I was like, oh no. And grabbed my phone and sure enough had two missed calls from yeah, you. And I, was, I was like, I was I'm okay. Totally, I'm alive. I, it's okay. I think every missed call increased my speed by <laughs> about 10 miles an hour. I remember <laughs> exactly where I was when was you like, didn't call. And then I remember exactly where I was when you, like the stuff that goes through your mind as a mm-hmm. parent in that kind of situation that you can't control. Yeah. And and I'm a bit of a fatalist anyway, in terms of the worst case scenario. If I watch a sporting event, I assume oh, my team sure. is not going to win. And uh, so I, the, what went through my mind in those three and a half or four minutes or whatever uh-huh. it was when you, and when you finally called, I was like, oh, dear Lord, thank you. Yeah. So I got down there and it was just, it was a really, it turned out to be a really sweet night and mm-hmm. we, we enjoyed the night, but you had a really interesting experience in that time of, it, it turned out to not just be your tire. In fact, your tire was fine, which I've never heard this before, but your tire was totally fine. Yeah. It was that you had bent the heck out of the rim of your tire. And Which that caused your tire to deflate. I don't even know how it does that I don't and under- doesn't damage the tire. I still don't understand that either. But I but I heard it from multiple people as I was yeah. calling around to try to then find new rims because who knew a new rim is like $800. Mm-hmm. So we found some aftermarket yeah. rim. So you have one black rim and three original rims on yep. your car. So your car's yeah. got some character Well, no, because you were like, you can get a new one that matches the others for like 800 or a used one that matches the others for like 500 or you can get one that doesn't match the others and is new but for it's like cool. 200. Yeah. And I was like, Dad, I work in a coffee shop and I'm a college student and you want me to pay more than double. I didn't want you. Well, I'm just no, asking but like you're yes, suggesting no. well, that just, as an option to me. I know. Well, I'd wanted, I, I didn't like know how much you cared. the cheapest of the options. Yes. I didn't know how much sure. you cared about the aesthetics of your car, but it turned out that the black rim that you were able to pick up. It looks up, really cool. Yeah, it looks really cool. And it was, a, it turned out to be what, $147? Is that mm-hmm. what it was? And then, yeah. Uh, and then they just had to install it, which wasn't much more. But you had an interesting experience in light because you've been thinking about getting a second tattoo. Yeah. And so yeah. anyway, just it, this is where the idea that there's all kinds of stuff happening in our lives. And I think in the spiritual realm all day Absolutely. long that that I think it, to learn how to attend to it is not the easiest thing. But you had an unusual situation related to this, yeah. the tire, the tattoo, all of that. Well, and it had kind of been on the heels of some other stuff that, like, had been happening in the last two or three weeks that you and I and and mom had been talking about. Right. Where then all of a sudden we were like, okay, so, like, listening and paying attention to things is, like, really important, and we're going to really be making an effort to be doing that. Um, But, yeah, so about a month ago, I was uh, cleaning my room and, and going through some stuff, and I have, like, this big 
because I'm I'm secretly a hoarder. I hide it well, but I am a hoarder. And so I go through this like bucket that I have under my bed of like cards from birthdays or Christmas or holidays or just whatever. And it's like, it's actually really sweet. And I do that on purpose because I don't know, it's just fun to have those memories of things. Of course. And as I'm going through this old like box of cards, I weirdly find like $150 in cash in this box. And I was like, how did I do that? Why would I have put a card with the money still in it in this box? What what would I have, how, how did it I possibly do that? It must have been fantastic discovery because if I find it like 11 great. cents in my jeans pocket after they come out of the dryer, I, like, I feel, oh my yes, gosh. I know, hidden treasure. Yeah. And so then I'm sitting there and I was like, okay, well, I've wanted these like couple little tattoos for a while. Um, and so I was like, great, this will cover most of the cost of that. And I have enough other money like saved up that I can do that then. Um, like booked the appointment, had my designs picked out, like the whole thing, knew where I wanted them, like all of it. I was set. And then just was like, I don't know. Something feels off. I feel like I'm not supposed to do this. I don't know why. I feel like I'm supposed to wait. That feeling is so weird. It's such a weird I feeling. I know. I and mean, I'm I've like, had that mo- it was so many times in my life. Yeah. You can't explain it. And it's happening in the most mundane of circumstances. Like mm-hmm. you have a tattoo. You obviously want to have more tattoos. Mm-hmm. And yet you're going to think to maybe execute getting a new tattoo. And you're saying that everything in you is kind of resisting the idea for yeah. not like any ideological reasons. No, yeah, absolutely. And so I I finally was just like, okay, I guess not. And like canceled the appointment and, and the whole thing. And now I'm sitting here a month later af- having listened to that. And I bend the stupid rim of my stupid wheel in Minneapolis and to get it replaced, I'm still mad to, at you for not picking up the phone. By the way, those yeah, three minutes were okay. Keep going. Sorry. Um, but the the total cost that I ended up having to cover for that to get the rim replaced was 147 dollars, which I happened to have the cash for you sitting on my bedside table. Yeah, that was, it, I mean, and you didn't. How many? It was about a month before this event that mm-hmm. happened. Yeah, I just. For you, I know how much a budget is important to you. And, and yes, you it have, is. Yes, and you have a, you have some gift money in your account that you were given by somebody else that you just have wanted to use a baseline in your account because you mm-hmm. care about wanting to keep that for some future things that you sense are part of Absolutely. what you're going to be invited into. And so I know it's been stressful to watch that fluctuate and, and, and make some good decisions on that. So it really is... I, it's just intriguing to me that you would pay attention to something a month before an actual event. Like you just knew you weren't supposed to do something, mm-hmm. but then it was a month later that this happened, and all of us and just to yeah. to not spend the money, and then to have this happen, and then to find the money, the whole thing. I, I don't know how you interpret that experience. Some people would say just luck, coincidence, whatever. But I yeah. think it's hard to explain that kind of experience when a month prior to that, something else was already afoot at that point. Well, and I think I know a lot of people who, and and I have been in stages in my life where I would just say it was good luck or it was whatever, um, or coincidence or like, oh, isn't it nice that that happened out that way? But um, I think more and more, and especially in the last like couple of weeks, as some other like kind of odd things have been going on in, right. in all three of our lives, um, that we've all just kind of been like, okay, really paying attention like moment by moment. And it really is like I I am doing this weird thing that like kind of makes me uh giggle a little bit here and there, just how casual I am when I talk to God about things. And so really most of the time it's just me being like, Hey, what's up? And like and that's it. And like getting whatever I'm feeling from that. Um right. and, and just moving on with my day. 
But like in the last couple of weeks, especially to have been listening and like checking in with things and being like, hey, is this a good, do I say yes to this? Do I say no to this? How do I respond in this situation? And like hearing that and really leaning into that experience and then to have something like this. And I didn't even realize it until we'd already gotten my car fixed and I'd paid for it and like the whole thing. And then I was in my car on my way to work the next morning and I w- and I texted you and mom and I was like, I just realized what that was. Yeah, you had just a huge epiphany in, in that. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, to, to understand and interpret your life circumstances through those <clears throat> daily situational things. I think a yeah. lot of, it, there's in, in the circles in which I've run over these last 30 years in ministry, people talk about how there needs to be a closing of the gap between what you perceive to be just sort of normal secular life mm-hmm. and sort of this heightened, elevated, sacred life. Yeah. And and as opposed to just all of life is sacred and the people around us are sacred and how we see the world around us. I mean, God is involved in in, in all these different kind of aspects of life, yeah. sometimes in ways that probably we interpret and he's not. But I think it's too often we we don't try to look for where God is in some of these places and, and assume mm-hmm. that only happens in fancy institutional settings or something like that when I think it just is part of our day. And, and it doesn't yeah. even mean we're always going to get a favorable outcome, right? No, of course in not. In fact, so yeah. often— it's a not favorable outcome, and yet God is still present and and with us in those places. So yeah, yeah. And mom and I had a conversation the other night where she was like, "Why is it that I can say weird things like this to you, and you totally understand what I'm talking about?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, first of all, you know this obviously, but for me, everything comes back to story. And so my thing is, is like, if stories are what teaches us how the world works, right? The stories, first of all." Being homeschooled, mom like wedged stories into, into every everything. school subject right, that she, she could. She for sure. Somehow she wedged it into math and like rocks. Right. And I was like, how? How did you possibly do that? But she did. And then all of the stories that I like really consumed as a child was all of these like spiritual, mythological, like sort of ideas where the the veil between worlds got really, really thin. Right. And so then I was like, I'm just seeing the practical application of all of the stories that I read growing up. And it's not that like I know people who would be like, oh, so you can't tell the difference between fantasy and reality. And I'm like, no, I know that a dragon isn't going to come and burn down our house. Like I don't have any confusion about that. Um, but but. What I really also don't have confusion over is I remember this so vividly. At one point, I was in the woods with a friend of mine, and it was not an unusual thing. Like, we spent every Friday in those woods, and it was just the two of us, and we were probably, like, 11 or 12. And I remember seeing a man walking down the path, and he didn't see us yet because we were kind of, like, in the trees a little bit because we weren't really on the path type of people. And I just remember looking at my friend and just being like, we need to leave right now. And she was like, what are you talking about? And something like deep in my spirit was like, he needs to not see us and we need to not be near him and we need to leave right yeah, now. for sure. And there, and there must have been something about the way that I said it or the way that I responded that she, after the first time, did not question it. She was like, all right, and we just left. And, and I was telling mom that story um, the other night And I was like, and I will never know if we needed to leave, if that was something, why we needed to leave. And mom was like, you'll never know because you left. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what that is. But, but listening to that gut feeling or that instinct and leaning into that and, 
And I had called it instinct for a long time, but I really do think it is God. I think so too. I think so too. And we'll talk, uh, the one of the main conversations we'll have as part of this episode is just about some of the events that are going on as we're recording, which is, yeah. what, the 19th-ish of February, I believe. And mm-hmm. so we'll release it here shortly, but there's uh, there's been an ongoing event at Asbury yeah. College and Seminary where there's this perception of a huge revival happening there. It's not the first time it's happened at Asbury, and I know some of the faculty down there, and we'll talk a little bit about just that idea of not does God just meet us in the normal, usual spaces, but how do we understand and interpret these seemingly bigger events where yeah. there's something really significant on the move. But maybe just one more quick conversation, because I am drinking uh, my 27-year-old Ben Nevis older Scotch than me. whiskey. It is. This, this, was, this was put in the barrel before you were alive, 1991. So it was actually pulled out, what, 2018, I guess that would make that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Ben Nevis is a really fun place for us as a family. It's it's the highest mountain, I think, in the mm-hmm. UK. And we I disagreed w- with that, but I actually don't know whether or not that's true. You so don't know. for yeah. sure, don't quote me on that. <laughs> if my dad is wrong, it is his fault. I would like to claim academic ignorance. Yeah, here. well, it's let's just say it's a tall place in, uh, in big in big Scott. hill. It is, and we went there. It's right in the shadows of yeah. when we took you guys to um, the the Hogwarts train. Mm-hmm. So if anybody is familiar with the Hogwarts movies, the train that they always the get on to Hogwarts ride, movies. I'm sorry, the Harry Potter movies. Uh-huh. If anybody is familiar with getting on the train to Hogwarts, had a little too as, much scotch. Well, apparently, over there. I barely even sipped it. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, it. They they get on this train, which is a really an old school steam engine kind of train. Oh, it's and so cool. It's, and, and it's iconic. And what's even more iconic is that they always pass over. Is it a viaduct or an aqueduct? It must be a viaduct. But I, I don't, think it's a viaduct. But I don't know the difference between via and aqua when it comes to ducks well, in that moment. Via means way, and aqua means water. Is that like Latin? Because you're homeschooled. Okay, so you would Uh know Latin as a homeschooler. You should know Latin. You're a professor. (laughs) No, I know Greek and Hebrew. I don't know Latin. That's lame. So Okay, so it must be a viaduct because they're not channeling water through this thing. So it's a passage. So we went over that really famous viaduct that's part Mm -hmm. of the movies. And took you on a Christmas ride over uh, over on the Hogwarts Express. It was super cool. It was super cool. But then we went to Ben Nevis. Like fourteen year old me was having the time of her life. Oh, for it was sure. it was fun. It was awesome. It was fun. it was really cool. And then we drove over to Ben Nevis, and that place was just totally magical because mm-hmm. you you take about uh, maybe a forty five minute walk, I want to say, and you park in what they call the car park over there. Mm-hmm. And there's a sign that says, warning, danger of death. Yeah, I was going to say, when it you literally- take like a 45-minute walk, I was like, walk is maybe a no, little lighter yeah. it's, and, than what it was. <laughs> it, it literally, that's not an exaggeration. It literally says danger of death. If it you're totally going to take does. this path. And I, after taking the quote-unquote path, I can see why they said that. Because there yeah. were certain moments where we were hopping over little babbling brooks of, of streaming water coming down the hillside mm-hmm. into these huge chasms that you would easily disappear into if you fell. Oh, for sure. I think I think Simon was maybe five or six, your youngest brother. And we're like hopping What kind of over. parents are you? <laughs> Apparently not very good ones. But it was quite the adventure. Yeah. And then, but then it was so stunning because you end up in the valley between all of these mountains and the, these meadows. And there's no cell phone coverage. You can't mm-hmm. get anything. And I would just say that... Every time that, I mean, Ben Nevis is my favorite of the various Scotch whiskeys. And it's such a fun hobby because there's just, you know, hundreds of distilleries and thousands of variations. And when you, when you drink a Scotch whiskey, you're actually drinking 
the the um, qualities of the land in which it's been distilled, whether it was the peat moss of the place or the grass or the pine needles, it really runs, it, it, there's such an earthy dimension. It's part of why, I mean, I, I would like a pint of beer and a glass of good wine. I don't know that stuff very well, but there's something about here sipping some Ben Nevis scotch that it's so much part of the land and it's such mm-hmm. a wonderful hobby and it was such a magical place to just be in in the midst of where I think I lose track of that really sweet, thin space that you described earlier, yeah. unless I'm in those kind of places on a somewhat regular basis. I got I did a sermon this morning at our, our local church with a friend of mine, and he asked the question, you know, how do you experience Jesus in your life? And I said, well, I think early in my journey, and I still do, mm-hmm. like, I really appreciate uh, scriptures and how God can speak when the word is rightly divided. It just It just feels like something happens in those moments. But more recently, it's these places of taking walks or being with nature mm-hmm. and, and observing God's creation that this, the, the space feels really thin in the midst of all of that. And so, yeah, so it's just sweet. So this is, uh, you know, I promised that we would have a, a little bit of an ongoing Scotch education segment yeah. as part of the Deeper Magic. So you just turned 21 last month. I was just going to say. And so this is my education for you is that Ben Nevis is a, is a highland scotch. It's, there's four regions in which scotch is distilled, and each mm. region has its distinctive characteristics. This is highland. It means it's caramely. Uh, it's a little sweeter. It's not so harsh. On Interesting. That. And, uh, and yeah, it, it actually tastes quite good, and it reminds me of the very thin spaces in which we walked in Ben Nevis under danger of death, but we did have an all survive. Under danger of death, yeah. Definitely want to go back to that place sometime, but there is something really sweet about it? that. You can absolutely try it. So, um, yeah, we'll take a go. 27-year-old scotch, here you go. I am not job. a scotch You drinker, actually did the right so. thing. You're supposed to smell it first because the 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 aroma nice. experience is as important as the taste. Yeah, no, but I I am not a scotch drinker. I know. So this is this is your be... first. You've had a couple. No, of I've had. Way, I've just yeah. never enjoyed any of them. Well, and you might not enjoy that one, but that one's particularly good. Oh, that's really good, isn't it? It's got a lot of like just you know demand. If I was to teach you even more about scotch, you would notice <laughs> how the smell is, how the first taste is, how it lingers yeah. on, or how how that first move on your palate is, and then how it lingers. And a good scotch takes you through a bit of a journey of three or four different characters. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. You're getting really philosophical. Oh, gosh, I know, scotch. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm totally geeking out. I get it. But a good scotch will take you through a bit of, a, of about an 11-second journey from mm-hmm. smell to finish that as long, it, it should feel a bit like you're walking through a part of Scotland as you're doing it. It shouldn't just have one note. You should have multiple sensory experiences where... It's pine needles and open air and and mountainside and heather and mm-hmm. peat moss and all of that. So it's, it's really and I'm kind of a fun like experience. I'm actually kind of getting some of that from like smelling it and right? then like tip of the tongue, middle of the mouth, back of the mouth. Like now it's totally right at it. the top of my throat. Like I feel it. It's cool. Yeah, I, I, to to drink recreationally is not not my jam, but I certainly enjoy the hobby of of all of this. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah, it's really fun. Cool. So that's so, our so thin space. And that's deeper. <laughs> that, so I will introduce further scotches because we have a whole shelf full of yeah. them that I bring back regularly from Scotland that you cannot get in the United States. So Ben I'll, Nevis, I'll make 27, a cocktail or something. Signatory vintage. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So Asbury Theological Seminary. That's our oh, main yeah. conversation. So we'll talk Christian about things. that for yeah, a yeah, few. Well, these are Ben Nevis is a Christian <laughs> thing. As it, ben as Nevis is. Christians will tell you that alcohol is a sin. I know. but that, Even though Jesus' first so miracle was turning water into alcohol. I know. <laughs> we we talked about alcohol in like, yeah, in like episode seven or something oh, in the I podcast. Did, and, I, yeah. and I had, you know, people, it's, there were not many, but some people were like, can you really talk? Well, whatever. Okay. So fine. Yep. Yes, you can talk about alcohol. Yes, you can talk and, about alcohol. And, and be biblically sound. 
And not only can you talk about it, you can sometimes have some every once in a while. And it's kind of not a sin, actually. One of the best days of my whole life is when I got my first (laughs) full-time professor gig at Bethel University. So on the same day, three things happened. One Mm -hmm. is I got uh, got notified that I was going to get hired for a full-time teaching position, uh, Mm -hmm. seven classes a year at Bethel University. And then my buddy called me and he said, we actually have an opening where we need you to come down and help be a credentialed media member for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So we need you to come down and and be part of the whole NBA community. And that led me on a crazy journey of meeting LeBron James and you know Kobe Bryant and all right. these, all that. And then the last thing that happened, I think, on that day is that Bethel at the same time dropped its lifestyle statement for the faculty members. For the first time in its history, it allowed faculty members to drink alcohol because I really? hadn't had, I hadn't had it in years teaching at Christian universities. So in one day, I got a full time job. I got credentialed as a media member for NBA.com, and they dropped the lifestyle statement. That's really cool. Did you actually hear? There was a whole thing with, like, the student and faculty lifestyle statement, like, a couple of months ago. Really? At Bethel? Yeah. Oh, I did not hear this. It was, like, a huge thing. And I know about it because my advisor was really, really upset about it. Okay, yeah. Um, But they changed the language at the agreement at the end because, like, as I was reading the lifestyle agreement for Bethel when I was going back there, I was, like— I don't agree with a lot of this, mm-hmm. but if your question is, do I want to go to Bethel? The answer is yes. <laughs> and so that was how I like ticked that box. Yeah, um, sure. But they changed the uh, wording of it to, to something. Originally it had been like, I agree to abide by this or like something like that. And I was like, fine, I can agree to abide by something for four years or whatever. Like, right. But they changed the wording of it earlier this past fall to I wholeheartedly agree. Really? And it was like a whole thing. And I don't know how it got resolved. I don't know if they changed it back or if they stuck to their guns with that one. But it was like everybody was really upset about it. I mean, I teach in a different program at Bethel than you do. I'm in the grad school seminary and and where adults complete their degrees. So I'm not in the daytime program. I didn't hear any of this, but maybe maybe I just missed it along the way. That's a big change. I don't know if it was the student one as well, but I think it was the faculty one. And everybody was like really upset about it. Yeah, understandably so. Yeah. I would definitely see how that would create a firestorm. Yeah. I can look into that. I can bring you a, a... Bethel lifestyle agreement update. I would like to see that. Yeah. <laughs> that an addendum to the addendum uh-huh. to the addendum. Yeah. Because we'll when I went it. to Bethel as an undergrad, we couldn't play cards. We couldn't dance. We couldn't go to R-rated movies. We couldn't have what? hair. I never had much hair, but we couldn't wear it uh, down to our shoulders. You couldn't have piercings, all of that. So think about that. That was in Ooh. 1989 through 93, 94 that I was bummer. there. So you think about how much has changed uh, since Leonardo DiCaprio was on the Titanic and I was at Bethel. <laughs> So, all right. So Asbury uh, yeah. College and Seminary, I, I will say this just to preface the conversation is that I've had a chance to interview over the years two specific faculty members there that I very much trust that are in the Divinity School. And I have been, I have learned through the writings of another faculty member there, uh, Craig Keener, Bill mm. T. Arnold, uh, Ben Wetherington. There's some really just trusted and reliable authors. So I was not, I, I tend to be fairly skeptical on the front end, when you see these sort of mass gatherings and herds of people that are claiming revival. And I think understandably so, because there's an event, I sent you over an article, I'm not sure if you got to it yet, but it's called the Toronto Blessing that happened somewhere around 1990. I started it and then I had to stop because I couldn't do it. Which it seemed like it was very manufactured. They were in an airport. There was already a plan in place to create some kind of revival. And then all the reports that came out of it were 
people were being healed and demons getting cast out and um, people were, uh, they started barking like dogs and Ew, roaring what? like lions. There was all kinds of just sort of craziness. And there, there was some interesting- That happens in my generation, but it has, it's not a revival, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. That's super fair. So, and, and I think- is what it is. Yeah, it seemed like it was manufactured on one end. And then um, after it was over, there was a bunch of uh, sort of residual impact of different ministries that started that, that were maybe kind of legitimate ministries. So I, I've just been puzzling over how do these things start are they legitimate on some level? Mm-hmm. And but then what is the longer term impact? Because you don't stay in this sort of revivalist place forever. Although I think some people want to and they wanted to yeah. sort of live in this religious ecstasy, I suppose, as it were. So compared to the Toronto Blessing, knowing who I know down at Asbury and who I've had a chance to interact with and really been instructed by in many ways through their writings. What was your initial take on this event that supposedly happened Mm -hmm. after a chapel? So many Christian universities have a chapel. And then after the chapel... If you go to a cool school, they don't require you to go. I know. So I teach... faith is a choice. So I teach at two universities, and one of them has required chapel, and one one doesn't. So I'm going to (laughs) refrain to comment on any of that right now. But... uh, but in this particular case, and we were going to have my friend Justin Jepson on with mm-hmm. us as part of this segment because he has been a chapel director at a university. But he's lame. Well, he's sick oh. right now. He texted me today and he's sick, got the flu. Lame. So yeah, same thing. Maybe we'll do a side segment with him yeah. at another point. But we had lunch this last week and talked about this experience a bit too. And and so after chapel, apparently at Asbury, maybe twenty-ish mm-hmm. or so students stayed, and the worship team kept just singing, and it's been very subdued. Mm-hmm. And they haven't tried to market anything. There hasn't been any specific, there wasn't even a specific idea that something might happen. Because at that Toronto blessing, they really it was were. Planned. They were yeah. trying to plan it. And, and I have been, and I've been in environments where I've seen a demon get cast out of a woman. And to this day, I even though it, it was more potentially a manufactured style environment, I have a hard time explaining what I saw related mm-hmm. to the way that her body was contorting in yeah. those moments. And so- We'll just bracket all of that off. But Toronto seemed manufactured. Asbury seemed like it kind of emerged uh, more organically, like grassroots-wise. Mm-hmm. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And they haven't stopped for two weeks. As of today, the day of recording, they Craig Keener came out and, and said publicly, we need to put an end to this, not because it's the wrong thing. And some other faculty members are saying the same thing. But because literally, I think tens of thousands of people are now mm-hmm. descending on this small town of about 8,000 people they don't have food. They don't have places for them to stay. So yeah. they said, we're closing this off to the public because everybody wanted to rush down to Asbury to see what started with 20 students mm-hmm. and then just grew to like 200. And it's been going 24-7 for the last two, two weeks. weeks. And people are claiming that they're experiencing significant relational and spiritual healings. Mm-hmm. They're being overwhelmed by God's love. Kind of the typical components of a revival. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to just superimpose what I think was a relatively unreliable account from Toronto onto this account because God's spirit does move among us. But at the same time, I have some questions. I don't How are you processing what's going on in Asbury insofar as you understand it, especially as a college student? Yeah, I think originally when you sent me the article, my response to it was skepticism or like, a oh, okay, great. Um, and especially because of some of what I have seen from church youth groups and and church institutions. And then some of the people that I know who would say that they are the most like on fire for Jesus, which like 
something about that statement just kind of gets me in some way where I'm like, how are you on fire for Jesus? Because I can fix that. I can make that literal if you would like. (laughs) Um, I can, yeah, let's see. Let's let's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this. Let's try it out. Um, You are a terrible human being. Okay, (laughs) Do I pretend to be otherwise? No, No, okay, all right, keep going. I don't, I'm honest. Um, But I, I just have gotten really tired of hearing about this sort of thing and and hearing about like oh this revival and the spiritual healings and god is so good and like the whole thing because well, and there are plenty of like jump around churches that are oh, that totally. that have, are popping up these days where it's almost like it's supposed to be a revival every sunday that you're in church so i think yeah. your your cynicism is is well, I mean, and there's it's some reason weird for like manipulative dopamine rush that that's, happens that's you said it so well that's i've experienced it, it for at, sure like, church weekends away and like youth groups and whatever, where it's like they have carefully cultivated the environment to manipulate you into having that and into releasing that dopamine rush in your head that then they tell you is the spirit of God moving in the congregation. And I've been in church like meetings planning Mm -hmm. for Sunday services where even if it wasn't said out loud, it was sort of the unspoken reality in the room as a way to shape the service to create that that dopamine release. So I think there is plenty of evidence that would suggest that cynicism sometimes is warranted. Absolutely. And and I think, like, uh, yeah, w- with that being my experience, my initial reaction was cynicism, which is often my, my first reaction when I hear about something happening in, in the Christian institution um, or in the church institution. But then as I was reading through the article, I— first of all, kind of intentionally made the choice to not be skeptical about it because I was like, I actually, I I want to be open to the to the good parts of the church institution. I don't want to just right. shut out all of it. I just can't believe how wise, honestly, like how wise that is to be reflective enough to be aware of your initial response, but then not let your initial response guide mm-hmm. the remainder of the situation. And, and to recognize that so often our first response in any situation, relational or otherwise, it is you don't just do away with it, but it's helpful to be reflective upon it and be maybe even sometimes humble and say, so my first response maybe isn't you yeah. know, in alignment with the objective realities of the universe kind of thing. So to, to, to think about it a little bit, I think is incredibly wise. Thank you. Um, but but yeah, so what I was trying to figure out in all of that as I as I was reading through this article was that the thing that initially struck me was just that it was some of the college students who decided to stay. It wasn't something that the organization was putting on or the worship team or the or anything like that. It was just the students who decided to stay and kind of keep that going. And then the other thing that I that really struck me out of all of that, because um, I think a lot of times there are things that happen in the church that originate as something really beautiful that the people kind of came together and started that wasn't begun by the by the leadership of that organization. Um, but then I think too often what we see is that then it becomes commoditized by the church. And right. so the, yeah, so the students start it and then sometimes the the organization comes in and takes it over and commoditizes it. And it's like, look at what's happening in our institution. Isn't this so cool? Um, but the thing that I thought was really, really interesting about all of that was that the school made a really intentional choice, I guess, choice and effort not to record any of it, not to like put any of it out there on the media or anything because they said they didn't want to interrupt or, or disrupt this sacred space. 
And so all of the footage or photos or whatever that people have been seeing of this, like, quote-unquote revival is from people who have traveled to be there or the students who started it or or whatever. But I think the the part where I'm maybe a little less hesitant and it's, and slightly more inclined to believe that yeah. that this is actually a really cool and beautiful thing that's going on here is that the the leadership of the of that organization was not involved in any way right. either in the starting or in the continuing of that. Yeah, I well, and that's where you what you just said is exactly has been my mm-hmm. best shot at trying to understand from the outside looking in and within the limitations of not being there and experiencing things and, and so of course our understanding of the situation is limited by the lack yeah. of involvement but that's what i would want to emphasize is what you just said is not only does it seem like the leadership is shepherding this in a different kind of way where they're not as you trying to market it trying to you know so come to asbury this thing happens all the time i mean upper yeah. education is struggling to find students uh, this would be the perfect opportunity for them to throw something out on tiktok and say look how the spirit moves oh for you sure know, yeah so the combination of that along with the fact that I have had the opportunity, as I mentioned previously, to talk to people uh, that have, I think, just been, they've been really wise people that come from that place and and their take on the scriptures and history and everything has been so balanced and so well thought through that I am, as you said, I'm more inclined to believe that something is happening here. And And then I think, assuming that that's the case, the question is, how do we avoid trying to recreate that somewhere else because as you have rightfully said places where it's not maybe happening in this expression of it there's maybe an understandable impulse well we want to experience that in our community too and they're mm-hmm. down in Kentucky maybe somebody in Texas or California or Oregon or or overseas says well we want that here and there's an assumption that there's something about what's happening at Asbury that is better than just usual life yeah. Right. Like, yeah. oh, like this is super de duper de duper spiritual stuff versus extra holy. Yeah. Versus just simply being kind to somebody who's serving you coffee mm-hmm. uh, at, at the local shop is not is not a lesser than a spiritual experience than mm-hmm. what's going on at Asbury. But they see that and they see the notoriety that comes from it. And then they also, I think, in understandable ways, want to have that kind of thing move in yeah. their midst too. But Jesus is pretty clear. I think it's in the third chapter of John where he's like, so here's the deal. The wind kind of blows where it's going to blow and you can't control it. And to try to manufacture it and try to manipulate it is doing a real disservice for how this works. So I think if if we have... Ooh, to to bring it full circle yeah, and make please. both of us look real smart. Yeah, right. Um, it's exactly <laughs> Anytime what... you can do this. I'm <laughs> I know, all right? I'm it's all in. great. Right. It's like when you're writing a paper and then you get to the end of it and you're like, ooh, I actually had like a good point there. <laughs> that turned out so. nice. Yeah. Ooh, I like when that happens. No, yeah, but it, it's what we were talking about earlier about just listening and, and seeing what time it is and hearing, okay, is this a moment or is this yes. not? Yes. And, and then leaning into that. Yeah, for Ha-ha, sure. Full yeah. circle. That was full circle. So Good job. Yeah, so I think, you know, can we acknowledge the authenticity of what seems to be happening while also being mindful that we don't want to try to then create an idol out of this movement of some kind uh, where, again, by all accounts, people's lives are being changed within a reliable institution. I think that the other question, and this is maybe the last part of our reflections on the, on this Asbury experience, is there's a lot of questions that people, and I found myself asking the same question, so this situation is going to come to an end at mm-hmm. some point. They're gonna, they're, there's not going to be a full house gathering in the chapel of 24-7 worship songs and, and, and prayer and all of this. So 
what was what was the meaningful long-term impact of that? Uh, we're not necessarily needing to stay in that kind of space for our whole life. It's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a gift if it happens. If there's a real sense of the nearness of God, and I'll just we you and I haven't talked about this before, and so I'll oh, just I'll, okay. yeah no I'll throw it out to you and you tell me what you think. I think maybe one way to process that, and I'm not saying this is the way, but I think for those people who are cynical that um, this there's some movement of God that happens in a fairly intense, unusual kind of way that, oh, it's just blah, blah, blah. It's, it's meaningless. It doesn't lead to any kind of outcomes. I, there's been certain times in my life where something happened, not anywhere near as public as what's happening in Asbury, but in the quietness of my own life mm-hmm. in which God moved in a way that was unusual compared to sort of just the daily sacred in which we live. And I remember one time in particular, I was reading the book Abba's Child, uh, written by Brennan Manning, who was somebody that struggled with his own demons of alcoholism. And um, he was a Catholic priest and really struggled with mm-hmm. uh, with what was expected of him, and he didn't feel like he could measure up. And so he wrote these amazing books about grace and being a ragamuffin, is how he called it, and had a chance to meet him at one point when I was in pastoral ministry, and just a really like lovely human being, but also a yeah. troubled human being. And I remember I was when I was really struggling in my, I think it was my 20s, with being a chameleon in life, basically putting out into public a, a perception that I thought people would like and then be willing to change my spots in any given environment and not ever then being myself in any given environment. I was constantly changing my spots and constantly making up a facade of myself because I was I, yeah. just, just being wounded and I didn't want to be hurt again and, and all of that. And he wrote in the third and fourth chapter of Abba's Child, he just wrote a section about what can happen when you're when, when the night is cold and your nerves are shattered and you're lying in bed and there's nowhere to turn. And then all of a sudden, infinity speaks is how he said it. Infinity mm-hmm. speaks the depth of its love for you, clearly being God um, in that place. You have an opportunity either to surrender into it or or not, basically. And I remember then in that moment, and so much of what's coming out of Asbury is people are saying, gosh, God actually loves me. Like yeah. God actually loves me and it's and it's life-changing. And I remember that in my own little Asbury moment all those years ago when I was just reading a book from Brendan Manning, it was the first time that I really remember God's love, not just being a theological concept, but whispering across my soul. That moment, I haven't stayed in the in the intensity of that moment for the rest of my life, some 30 years on. But that moment that was intense in that moment has also then marked me for a lifetime. And it's something that persists, whether I am always fully aware of it, but I haven't ever doubted God's love for me since that moment in time in which I just happened to be reading Abba's Child in the quietness of my room. And so if you told me what came out of Asbury was that we weren't trying to commercialize and market some heightened religious ecstasy experience or we're not trying to recreate it because it is kind of happening. Other universities are starting to try to do it and I'm worried that it's the dopamine experience versus the authentic movement of God. Or like proving that we are as spiritual or like whatever. Exactly. And so for those people that um, have been hopeful and mindful and praying that along with the very difficult reality in which we live, um, especially for young people growing up today, if they just even had a whisper or a moment in this Asbury revival uh, of God whispering God's love across their spirit that allowed that to then persist for a lifetime, whether it's as intense as what it is at Asbury. I think that kind of outcome it would be brilliant for so many people. Cause I think so, so many people doubt that God actually exists. Number one. And mm-hmm. number two, if God does exist, 
that God's primary move and posture towards us is one of affection, of one I want to be with you, one of, of love for you. And if they tasted any bit of that at Asbury, then and I'm cynical about that, yeah. well, then I've really made a, a monstrous calculated error in terms of how I'd understand the experience. Because if one of God's beautiful imagers just gets a little whiff of his love, oh my word, it's utterly life-changing at the end of the day. Yeah. So that's my take on this, but I don't know what yours is. And we haven't talked about any of this yet. Yeah, no, I think mine would pretty much be all of what you just said, which um, I think unfortunately too often people are looking for really like large scale revolutionary change kind of thing in in terms of determining the value of something. Um, But, but what I saw in all of that was a group of, of 20 students who had a life changing experience with God that they will never forget that probably changed the trajectory of their lives in some capacity and, and that other people wanted to participate that in that as well. And they did. And, and I think, it doesn't need to be like a 25-year revival of nonstop <laughs> prayer and worship. It right. doesn't need to be suddenly every college campus across the country. It doesn't need to. And, and I think the idea of a revival, as we often think of it, is like in the in history, like in CWC, when we talk about like— And that's Christianity the, in the Western culture. That's right. a class that you're taking right now. Yep. Or that I took in the fall, yeah. Mm-hmm, right. um, yep. But— but yeah, the idea of like this was a pivotal moment that changed all of Christian history and like the whole thing. It, it, I think that's often what we think of when we think of revival. And so then if that is the picture that we keep in our head and then this kind of peters out after a little while, then we're like, yep, suspicion's confirmed. It's the self-fulfilling prophecy. Hmm. Um, but I I think what happened here was a revival to an extent for for the people who participated in it, it was a revival for them. For sure. And and they walked away revived and and changed and trajectory altered and and all of that. And so even if it doesn't change like America as a whole or the world or Christianity or even the college like itself, it it was a revival for the people who were participating in it. And I think that's the takeaway because mm. like with with some notable exceptions, it doesn't seem like God is often a God of like, all right, we're going to sweep over the nation. Here we go. Right. And they're like, there are obviously times when that happens. But but I think more often than not, it's on the really close, intimate, one-on-one personal relationship kind of level that that sort of change happens. And, and I think that's exactly what was happening here. Yeah, I think that's really well said, Anna. I just, I, I think it's, again, it's an understandable impulse that we have when we get caught up in, in more of this sort of religious ecstatic experience because it really is profound. I mean, to have God's love like wash over you and and, and to have that um, shape you and, and, and maybe turn some things in you is something that I think we long for. And I actually think dopamine is probably released in those moments when, oh, it, when sure. it's authentically God. But I think then we also then end up searching for the next dopamine rush so often after that versus the idea of living within the sacred mundane, just meaning that our normal daily life is sacred. Every moment of our life is sacred. And it doesn't mm-hmm. always mean that we're going to have the dopamine version of sacred life, but, but and I understand why people try to pursue that because there is this high that comes from it. But I, yeah. but if if you told me that in those very few experiences that we might have, if we're fortunate enough to live on Earth for eighty to one hundred to one hundred twenty years, that 
that really are shaping and, and uh, marking, I, I think it would be irresponsible to say, but we can still then find God when we're changing tires and drinking scotch yeah. and having conversations. Like we don't want to separate what's going on from Asbury as somehow that's healthy spirituality on steroids mm-hmm. versus you sorting out your first ever tire changing experience. That, right. Yeah. So I, it's helpful to interact on some of that. I'm curious what happens from here. Uh, they, like I said, as of yeah, today, they're shutting it down, at least to the public, it's going to carry on at Asbury, but we'll continue to follow it. And, and maybe we can get, um, if it's relevant, we'll get one or two of the people that are from Asbury cool. uh, to join us on Deeper Magic. But we just want to do a shorter episode this week. This is not, I mean, for us on Deeper Magic, an hour short. Fun to hang with you tonight. We got to go eat some tacos here in a minute. Absolutely. And my scotch. I was going to say Taco and, Tuesday, but it's a it's, Sunday. It's Taco Sunday and my scotch. It's my Taco ben Nevis Tuesday, but 27, on a Sunday. Yes. And my Ben Nevis 27 is now empty. No thanks to you. You had a pretty good sip of it, I have to say. I had a Small sip of it. <laughs> okay, so would you Very give it? Would you it. give it? Uh, uh, like because I'm gonna bring like I think next time we record I'll bring something like heavily peated that'll just be aggressive and difficult and and burn off your taste buds a little bit. So what? What? But what would you give this one out of ten? I mean, I'm still not a Scotch person, right. so like the fact that I didn't absolutely hate, hate it, it? Okay. was like. Yeah, so like in terms of alcohol enjoyment, I'd put it on like a two or a three out of ten. But in terms of like scotches that I've tried in my life, I yeah. would say like an eight. You do know, like this is the thing actually, you have to drink scotch regularly for six months to burn off enough of your taste buds so that you can begin to enjoy it in a different kind of way. sounds like a cult. <sighs> Well, I'm not you having. Just I'm told not having me a that in order to enjoy scotch, I have to burn <laughs> off my taste buds. That's the physiology of the whole six thing. Six months. That's just no, the physiology. I'm not that dedicated to it. Well, we'll I will see. keep my fruity cocktails. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll we'll see where we are in six months at the Deeper Magic. Uh huh. But fun to hang with you again tonight, and we're off to go eat tacos. Everybody, thanks for listening. This has been the Deeper Magic. I'm Peter. I'm Anna. And we'll catch you again uh, next time, real soon. Bye, guys. Deeper Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. Mm-hmm.